0: Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon. We are watching the His Dark Materials television show, season one, episode four, Armor. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit, or perhaps as Arithmetric over on Twitter.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as and in Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and LisenArborGold.com
0: everyone we got a couple of really important characters in this week's episode oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god it was the best so good we also though got a lot of great tweets and responses from people one of them of course has been low jackom Muir who's been sending us a lot of great stuff throughout our reread of northern light slash the golden compass and Low has sent us a couple of things, one of which is on how to properly pronounce uh, a couple of the names and the words from this week's episode. We, I think, I think we should get a pass, just like Lee. Uh, <laughs> Low gives Lee a pass. Uh, and Lowe also actually recently penned a really great post on Tumblr about the Sami people and how there was a lot of racism back then in, in the north and in the scandinavian countries and how this led to a lot of oppression for ethnic minorities and a couple of people practicing eugenics upon them and this is something that i think we're going to expand on more next week it seems more relevant for next week's episode but wanted to flag it for everyone especially if you've been following along with our reread and we'll link it in this post
1: yeah absolutely lo has been really instrumental in Explaining to us some of this history of racism and eugenics in that northern area, and also how it still happens today. Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: I mean, I don't think we can contain our excitement anymore. I'm sorry. The episode. The I'm episode. so excited.
1: This first scene was so good. It was just like, they. so the BBC released this scene before we even saw the episode, yes. right? I just watched it I was so I watched then. it
0: over and over and over again. and over. And I like over. learned the song. And I'm
1: singing it under my breath right now. I'm just I like... learned the
0: song so that I could like and and I think my partner's confused as to like why are you why do you know the song? Why are you singing the song when we just started the episode?
1: <laughs> Lee and Hester sing amidst the clouds. They're on their way to cause trouble for their friend Yorick Bernison. Yeah, What an intro. I love the song that Lee and Hester harmonize upon. Uh, my favorite lyric is probably, man gets lucky every couple of times.
0: Yeah, man gets lucky a couple of times. I think that part, I was just like, oh, so this is uh, Lee's life now. <laughs> oh, so they're just going to stab him yeah, so th- in the heart. They're just going to tell us his entire life story in about four lines. Great. Amazing.
1: God. I-, I also loved when he's all singing and then he pops up and he sees something out in the distance and he's like, Hester! <laughs> And she's like, "I'm right here." Yeah. What, what do you see? It was so <laughs> that great. Was the best uh, part. She's very sassy. She's a great. I love that voice actress. And yes, I think you're going to talk about this later in depth. You just finished it, but this is very once upon a time in the North field, gunslinging, bar fighting, bear roaring.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I was actually surprised at first. So. It seemed like it was a very different interpretation of Lee, especially for those who came up with Sam Elliott's performance as Lee in the Golden Compass movie or, you know, what, how he's portrayed in the books, but actually he's very, very similar to the character to the Lee that we meet in Once Upon a Time in the North. And they actually draw a lot from very specific scenes in that short story within his introduction here.
1: I'd even say rereading the first book and the second book, I, I, recently went out on vacation and I'm rereading The Subtle Knife right now in preparation for the second half of the season, since apparently we're going to be done with the Amber Spyglass by the second season. Uh. What was it? The esoteric (laughs) like stopwatch? What were all the other names on that meme? Great meme, everyone. Check it out. So good. Uh, um, uh, Even just reading his first introduction again in The Northern Lights... And here, I loved that effect when he said, Oh, I've only, I've only had to kill a few times. You know, it's not my thing. I'm interested to see how Lin-Manuel portrays him going forward. I think he did a good job. I think the accent kind of flickered here and there, but it was good when it was there. It was subtle. Like a knife.
0: <sighs> <laughs> so, small bit of trivia. Here, every now and then we talk about the names of the demons, and Hester... Her name is actually means star. Really? Yeah, it comes from. It's a derivative of the name Esther, which I guess makes sense. You know, you can see it, especially thinking about like Yoster, Yostre, etc. Things like that. So you can see how it like gets there.
1: To give it a little animal corner, the rabbit is always a totem of prosperity and abundance. Obviously, Uh, (laughs) rabbit. So apparently, she's an
0: arctic hare. She was always yeah. like, I never felt like I was a rabbit at the end of Once Upon a Time in the North. I was like, okay, Hester. Fascinating.
1: Uh, yeah, Arctic hair really really just about fortune, right? It's about fortune. I don't know. And that is what Lee usually sets out for. But maybe not this maybe, time. Maybe
0: only a couple of
1: times. Only once in a while. A couple of times. Ah! And then she's going to eat him. She's going to eat him.
0: But then it doesn't, and then Hester's atoms go up into the stars, and so does his, and then they're reunited.
1: Anyways, (laughs) the Egyptian caravan is traveling up the river to Trellisund at the same exact time as Lee and Hester are in the sky. And then we hit the intro again.
0: Yes. Every time, it's still
1: good. Still slaps. I notice something new every week, like- that's amazing. When it backs out of Lyra with the subtle knife on her back that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. it backs out in a circle. Did you notice that? What do you mean? It's the amber spyglass. Oh yeah. The subtle knife and then it goes into that circle and it's the lens of the spyglass. Yeah, they threw
0: in the whole fucking trilogy in the f-
1: and the I think they're so smart.
0: Yeah. They do. God, and it. I mean like it that's definitely the world. Yeah, they're that the, the it's definitely the world of the Malefa, and one of those like little wafers mm-hmm. and then i i yes. kind of like the idea of sitigase being underneath lyra's world it's kind of a strange inversion considering that Citigaze is positioned above them the whole time absolutely anyway it's funny they're they, they think they're so clever i always think that they're gonna change something though and they haven't but maybe they will eventually you know they do it for anime every season why not
1: keep it fresh yeah just just imagine everyone running across the street screen <laughs> that intro i think they have to change it i think they have to add a little more will into it at some point yes <laughs> i didn't realize i wanted that
0: until you said it, and i was like oh my god yes i do deeply and then of course we get to the first scene that is not the cold open
1: where the lee meeting the Sussleman. Dudley Dursley is apprehending Lee for being salacious, and Lee is out there pickpocketing people throughout the city. (laughs) And he's like, I'm looking for a bear. You guys see a bear anywhere? Hester's like, please do not get us in trouble again. He comments he hasn't seen the Egyptians this far north to Hester. Sisselman is a local office of government in Norwegian, Feroci, and Icelandic culture, so it's basically a sheriff. Uh, But this is Dudley Dursley. This is... His actor, he is skinny. I
0: couldn't figure tall. out where I knew him from. I'm so glad you provided this this for me. <laughs> I was like, why do I know this face? So he's definitely lost a little weight. There's that. Um, and also I don't know. I I guess he's still playing a similar role. And honestly, he's not wrong. It is probably dangerous to smoke on a place that's full An of oil. oil
1: yeah, he's he's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> No, absolutely. Lee's kind of like boisterous in this, right? He's causing trouble. He's pickpocketing. I was surprised at that. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that came from his modern book character more from him from one spot a Time in the North.
0: Yeah, the pickpocketing though wasn't even in that, so I was a little surprised. But no. I mean, I'm like, whatever. I guess it makes sense for He's a, rogue. a rogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was also <laughs> thinking that. I was like, is. oh wow, they really went full full rogue. Then we have the scene with John Fa instructing Fardacorum to go to the witch's council. They joke about uh, Fardacorum's age and his looks uh, and his relationship with Serafina Pekala before. And then Fardacorum takes Lyra's side and asks her to read the alethiometer for him, or at least explain how she does it.
1: Both of the parties have noted at this point in the episode that there's an increased presence of the magisterium in Trollocent. Coram tells Lyra to hide her lithiometer when they're there, and Lee and Hester also noted that there was more Magisterium presence. A man watches them from above, and so does the entire Magisterium because it turns out they're all just like looking out for weird stuff happening. And Lyra has her alethiometer out just in the broad daylight. Guys, this is amateur hour. Yeah. This is like some baby town stuff. Put it away. Go undercover. Come on now. Uh, Corum tells Lyra he thinks Serafina Pekala will lend them aid, although not all witches may aid them. I also want to point out, before we go any further, that you and I have stayed true to ourselves with our pronunciation of Serafina Pekala, <laughs> and I respect that. I've always had respect for you, Eliana. Wait, have you- do you not say it like that? I mean, I, No, I say Pecala, but the- the show does not. It does Pekala. Yeah,
0: and Lo also said that it's Pecala. Pekala. But well, my brain says it's not. It's hard to it's hard to change the way I've said something since I was like thirteen. Okay,
1: and it's hard for me to change the way I've said something since I was twenty seven, which I still am.
0: <laughs> uh, you're so. basically just like Lee and Yorick, in which Lee just calls Yorick throughout Once Upon a Time in the North York, burning sit burning <laughs> yeah. sun throughout all of it, and then Yorick calls him Mister Scaresby. Or Scarsby. Mr. Scaresby is my and favorite. And I'm like, oh my god, they're made for each other. Absolutely. Uh, I know you have your ships, but I have mine too.
1: Yes, I respect that. You respect my furry ship.
0: Um, speaking of other ships, uh, this isn't quite a ship, it's just a fact. We said it last time, I'm gonna repeat it, Fardacorum Poles.
1: Yeah, Fardacorum fox.
0: Or fucked. Yeah, John John calls him fucked. out on it too. Uh, John Fawkes tells him <laughs> yeah. that he punches above his weight, and you know, good for him. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. Farder has got a beautiful heart.
1: I think it's more like Farder Corum and Serafina Pecala. Like she's the hot girl, he's the the nerdy, quiet, alethiometer uh, friendly. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. He's like the quiet, nice. Egyptian grandpa, you know what I mean? Like he's the good guy, mm-hmm. and she was the hot girl, the hot, yeah, manic pixie uh, Lake Anara girl.
0: She wanted to pet his cat. Let's not let's not act like it was anything Whoa. different.
1: <laughs> and let me just tell you that he pet her cat. Yeah, it, that's all that was happening here. Uh,
0: along with that, I like I like this uh note from the Measures of Truth podcast and their live tweets, they made a good note. We realized later, of course, that there are hardly any children out in Charleston for obvious reasons. We'll talk about that in a second. And part of the reason that folks might be looking at Lyra and Farticorum isn't just because of the alethiometer, but also because they're like, whoa, it's a child. Weird. Haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. Also, the explanation that Lyra gives here about stepping down on each rung of the ladder to understand the meanings and the symbols of the lithiometer is very, very, very similar to how she explains it in the books. If you didn't check out episode three of our reread of Northern Lights and the Golden Compass, we do a deep dive Into how this stacks up against the way that meaning is explained within linguistics in regards to, like, semiotics and semantic neighborhoods. If you don't feel like re-listening or actually listening to it, One Dollar Nut patrons can just, like, skim the
1: show notes, whatever. It's the same thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Moving ahead, the Witch Council. Farter Corum hopes to get a message to his ex-lover, Serafina, and it turns out, well, they weren't that sneaky when they came in and they were whipping out the alethiometer because Martin Lancelius is interested in Lyra, the faded girl with the golden alethiometer. Quorum knows Serafina would want to help, so he pushes the issue with Martin, who says he'll pursue it. He then asks Lyra to figure out which pine spray is Serafina's with the alethiometer on the wall, and Lyra does. Oh my god, I was so excited about this. Uh, he gives Serafina's spray to Lyra and says this will summon Serafina's help if they should need it in danger. She asks him what she should be asking from him that she has not asked yet.
0: It was a good scene. I like that Lancelot says, yes, Farticorum, everyone knows that you two
1: fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I every, everyone laughing. fucking kisses
0: and tells. All right. <laughs> We no all cares. know
1: Corum Vintraxel. We know that you guys fucked. You had a kid. Yeah, couldn't couldn't hide it.
0: I, as you said, really like they included it. I like the way that they portrayed the basement full of the cloud pine. It wasn't the way that I imagined it, but also I think I was imagining like a stable full of branches when I read Same. it. So I like this interpretation a lot. It, it was it was really good. I liked him in
1: the jars. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. So Same. I expected a stable like you with just like racks of them. With just racks of branches. Like you go to.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically something that you would see soon in the upcoming seasons around here where you go buy a Christmas tree and there's a million of them, but only way thinner, like fucking Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. Uh-huh. A million Charlie Brown Christmas trees. And <laughs> that's what I imagined. Yeah. I I also prefer that they're stretching out and not giving us the whole chosen one thing right away, with the whole prophecy. Yeah,
1: I'm noticing that especially with Coulter's plot in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, the the one piece of information she does not have and that she wants and craves, the answer.
0: Yeah, I, I like this choice on their part. Lyra at least then gets their next steps from Linusolius by seeking an a- armored bear.
1: Aha! <laughs> the thing! Where can we find one of those? Here,
0: it's me! <laughs>
1: <laughs> they uh, they go to find Eorick Burnison. They find him working off a blood debt with metalworking behind Einderson's bar, earning food and booze and stay. Corum tries to convince Eorick to come with them, but Eorick will not deal, even when Lyra shows bravery in facing him.
0: Oh. And then we have Mrs. Coulter visiting the Magisterium.
1: Yes, she is hell in high heels in this scene. I love it. We'll get into a further breakdown of her outfit. But first, she meets with the Cardinal and with Father Macphail, and they try to strip her of her duties. But instead, she shuts them down, offering to give them Asriel in order to continue her experiments, avoiding their punishment. She reveals she'll have the pants born on her side and all she needs is Fra Pavel to answer one question for her on the Elite Theometer. I love the way that Ruth
0: Wilson, she's just been doing a great job acting like her. She does a wonderful job smiling with the rest of her face, but not her eyes in some moments here. We also get a really great reversal and mirror of two episodes ago when Mrs. Coulter invited Father McPhail into her office and offered him tea or water. The Cardinal here actually offers her a couple of things like tea, other consumables, but she refuses each one, interestingly in the same way. She's not here for those pleasantries and she's not going to be cowed, which I guess is, is this like part of the subtext when partaking of food in England? I don't know, or is this just like a metaphor of how they're performing it in this show? Explain to
1: me. I'd imagine so. I mean, it's its hospitality, right? If you accept that person's food or that person's favors, it's the same thing as, like, going to dinner with a guy and being expected, like, probably to make out with him at least. You know what I mean? Like, you're making out politically with this person. You're in bed with them politically. That's what it means. So she knows better. Yeah, she does. And speaking of food for thought, when the Cardinal tells her that he's going to strip her of her duties, he's staring at her like he also kind of wants to strip her and devour her hmm it's like really gross it's like a hungry look
0: yeah as opposed to the way that father McPhail looked at her he looked at her with disgust
1: yeah absolutely with fear even yeah the very beginning of this scene when she first arrives at the top of the stairs her demon the monkey tries to hold her hand and she slaps it away almost like she doesn't want to look weak and again that self-loathing right refusing to even help herself yeah
0: yeah Makes you wonder if she actually was a little nervous going in at first and is just putting on that show of bravado.
1: Oh, I imagine yeah. so. I mean, this is basically you'd get taken away for life if you even misstepped, right? Yeah. Uh, these people are the most powerful. And here she's Helen High Heels, like I said. She's the lady in red. She's femme fatale. And her in this like cranberry red color with these stiff shoulders and this plunging neckline. It's full-on assault. She's putting her most dangerous outfit forward when she enters this holy place full of powerful men. Uh, She has a tight waist. She has a short skirt. And in this, you will not cow her. You won't scold her. She's not a child. She brings herself all-woman into this scene, and she holds her own against the Cardinal and Father Pavel. She looks down on them, and she speaks bluntly, which no other woman would do that in front of this company. I was speaking with poor Quentin the other day. We were watching Weeds. Uh, I love the show Weeds. And Nancy Botwin is this very tragic female, uh, you know, this matriarch familial character that gets involved in the drug business. And she rejects and fails at her motherhood during the show while trying to make it in her criminal career. And later on, she finds herself at some point about to be put to death when it's motherhood in her pregnancy that ends up saving her, and in the same way, Coulter masters marketing her vulnerabilities and it translates it into power, using Azriel as a bargaining chip, which is something that she does later with Lyra in the story as well. Mm-hmm. And by wearing this dark red power skirt suit with the plunging neckline, she's fully using those vulnerabilities to entice the men into what they can't have. But, of course, that power of the Magisterium makes your skin crawl, and the Cardinal makes it very clear he can have and do what he wants. It's very interesting contrasted with the Boreal version we see later on in the episode where he extorts Frapavel. It's kind of how they both use Hmm. their power. Marisa has to use hers to manipulate in her woman's power, and Boreal extorts through blackmail and his actual physical power. It's very, very different
0: what you were saying kind of also made me think of like especially with all this red she's like little red riding hood but in a den of wolves right mm, mm-hmm. especially because she's like really into hats I think that's a British thing too <laughs> also I I just really want to point this out what's with the cardinal hunching over like fucking Gru from Despicable Me all the time oh my god I'm not sure I get I it I did not notice right? that but now you can't unsee it yep thank you're you you're welcome but in terms of what you were saying about Marissa and Boreal and how they use their power, I think there's a lot of different philosophies that come forward in *His Dark Materials* and how it, in regards to power and how it relates to knowledge. We talked a little bit about Boreal last episode of being the garden, being the serpent in the garden of Eden, and how he tempts people and asks for knowledge, especially forbidden knowledge, and. In this episode, we see knowledge again takes on several meetings. You talked about that temptation of carnal knowledge just now, and anyone who has like watched or read *The Crucible* might remember John Proctor saying he has known Abigail as a confession. I will never forget that. Every now and then, I'll say about people, I'll be like, I've known, I've known them. Just, just, <laughs> just know that I do that. Um, there's been a lot of emphasis, also on Scholastic Sanctuary throughout this entire series that wasn't as present in the books. So it's interesting, especially as the Magisterium jealously guards the lithiometers. And of course, uh, Magisterium has much more of a visible role. I think in the show, they were there, right, in the books, but now we actually like see them and all their plotting. And so I think this comes back to two different ideas of the relationship between knowledge and power. They're not the only ones, but these are just the ones I'm going to touch on right now. Like, it's often taken out of context, but uh, Sir Francis Bacon is known for pioneering this scientific method, but also for the line, knowledge is power. But turns out Sir Francis Bacon was, like, really, really into God. Like, really into God. And so in this a thing that he wrote called the Meditationis Sacre, he delves into like what's considered canon and what's considered heresy. And what he's actually saying is that knowledge is God's power. What he's actually saying is that to limit the idea of what God is capable of is limiting God's power because knowledge is one of God's powers. So thinking that God might not know something is limiting him and therefore a form of heresy. And I, I think that's a little bit contrasted with... Foucault, who doesn't talk about knowledge being one of God's specific powers, he talks about knowledge and controlling it as being a power by having more of it, the ability to manipulate it, and how people understand information. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Boreal and Mrs. Coulter here. And it's also what the Magisterium has been trying to do, operating within both of these spheres. The belief that knowledge is among God's powers, and, and, and we see that this is actually fallible in the portrayal of God and Metatron in the Amber Spyglass, and that because it's one of God's powers, is therefore the right of the magisterium, and so they control it to bend people to their will. And it's part of why the control of the lithiometer is so important, and why they're so taken aback when Mrs. Coulter knows something that they don't, and can therefore twist everything on them, or if Boreal has carnal knowledge. It seems like he has carnal knowledge of Father Pavel, right, by the way that he's acting with him. He he does the same seductive thing as Mrs. Coulter did, does in previous episodes, and even here. And he says he would even, like, out Father Pavel out of spite, which
1: means that he would go down with him. So... And it is something that I know I mentioned briefly before, but it actually is a very exact theme from the secret commonwealth. So uh, I won't go deeper than that, but all of this comes up in the secret commonwealth. So it is something from the books. It just is kind of being translated very slowly in the background now. But not Lord, Lord Boreal, right? Yes and no. Okay. Stuff that he was involved with directly, sure. basically. Uh, but That's not surprising. I mean, the Magisterium. Okay, got it. But so it, it's a lot of there's this all this secrecy about different things like protecting the alethiometers. It becomes kind of like a very intense thing. I mean, imagine a, a nation like what we live in 10 years from now with nothing getting better and mostly things getting worse, you know? <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> so
0: anyway, that would never happen. It's definitely something <laughs> that
1: I look forward to when you finally finish the two books of dust, and we can discuss this one a little differently, but- no, I almost crammed until them. Until then. I
0: almost had incentive to cram them in this weekend, and then that incentive went away, and I decided to pursue becoming a Pokemon master. Farter,
1: Corum and Lyra finally discuss the elephant in the room, the giant snow goose in the room, <laughs> Seraphina <laughs> Pakala. Corum tells her to take care of how she interacts with people because he's worried- about her and Eorix's interaction earlier. She then asks him about Serafina and his history, and he reveals that they were in love and they had a son who died in an epidemic.
0: Damn. It uh it was so sad. Uh he did such so a sad. good job being sad about it. Yeah, he go. he says she wanted to rip the world apart, fly to Yambe aka f- fight her if that's what it took to get him back. I wanted to mourn in peace. I haven't seen her since. Since we buried my boy.
1: Uh, okay, I get it. I'm a sinner. My ship is full of sin. I feel the sadness. Are you happy? I mean... I'm so sad. I do feel like it's a little unfair, and we'll talk about that here, that uh, Serafina didn't just leave because she couldn't handle it. Her mom died as well very recently after the son died. So Yameaka came for her mother, who was the queen witch of their clan, the Lekinara tribe, mm-hmm. and she had to go do her duty and leave Quorum, one way or another. Um, and as we learn, time doesn't stop for the witches. We'll keep hearing that through the story, that a war might happen, but in a hundred years, it's a blip of time. The war could happen all over again. They would forget about it. They move along. Pine sprays in the sky. Uh, and Yambe Aka is something that's very much so explored especially in the witches plot it was very interesting we got to actually hear about it right now right here uh, the very first mention that we have of it is with Lyra and Serafina in the Northern Lights
0: how long do witches live Seraphina Pecola I'm gonna say it Vardicorum uh, says hundreds of years but you don't look old at all
1: I'm 300 years or more our oldest witch mother is nearly a thousand. One day, Yambe Aka will come for her. One day she'll come for me. She's the goddess of the dead. She comes to you smiling and friendly, and you know it is time to die. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, we'll learn more about that, especially in Subtle Knife. We talk about it a lot, for sure. Uh, we open with a witch, you know, praying for Yambe Aka to end her torture uh, and Seraphia steps in as that role. Yambayaka is definitely something that comes up over and over again. The witch is goddess of death.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point that she left for her mother as well. She was going through a hard time. And honestly, it's a trope that comes up a little. It, The trope that comes up a lot in media, right? Where there's a couple and their child dies and they end up breaking up. but. My understanding from what I've read and heard is that it's actually kind of true. Couples that go through something so traumatic like this, it it can be difficult to stay together because the two remind each other of that very painful loss. Lee and Hester are now instigating problems in bars.
1: (laughs) Who would have (laughs) thunk? He's out here causing trouble. He's gambling at cards with dudes at the tables, bugging them. He's like, I'm just asking for conversation. There's like this cheesy outlaw 80s video game music almost playing in the background of the bar, like Twin Peaks-esque. I don't know. He reveals he's looking for a bear with some armor, and it turns hostile. And then it turns into a bar fight. Hester is like, I swear I'm going to kick his ass. That's all she is. She's in the background. She's hysterical in this, too. I love one of the lines. She's like, you started the fight, and now you're losing the fight, Lee. <laughs> She's the best part, though. She's yelling things basically along the lines of like, oh, this is so nice, Lee. Too bad I told you to, you know, not get in trouble. Oh my god, they almost got me, Lee. Do you not care? And then she just keeps telling him like how to fight. She's like, can't, punch this guy.
0: And now also giving him direction. <laughs> she stole the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cristela Alonzo was amazing.
0: Yeah, so Cristela Alonzo is the voice actress for Hester, and interestingly, her lines were improvised. And what? Yeah, in the scene, right? Isn't that interesting? And and like she was so terrified that people would hate it, she actually still hasn't seen the episode because she's so scared of it. <gasps> so go tell Cristela Alonzo how much you love this scene. Don't embarrass me. In front of Crystal- yeah, oh, go, Christella Yeah, at 9. Yeah, but, but be nice and tell her how amazing the scene was. All right.
1: Yes, absolutely. Tell her that you, a Girls Gone Canon fan, love Hester, especially in the scene, because I did. I just thought it was so funny that she was like half berating him and being like, I can't believe you did this, dumb fuck. Yeah. And then like in the other bus she'd be like, can you not kill us? I just thought she was great. Uh, she did great.
0: I also love the earlier scene where she's like, everyone's super nice here. And she's like, yeah. No, they suck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the later when uh, they're at the table and she's like, Lee, you've done pissed everyone else off in this town now. It's time to go.
0: <laughs> He's like, It's fine. It's fine. This is fine. Uh, she's like, oh my god. She's the voice of truth for sure. Yeah, she's his North Pole. Her, his North Star, Hester. Mrs. Coulter gets her one question. Who is Lyra Balacqua?
1: Fra Pavella's like, what? And she's like, just ask it. Don't ask questions. Just to the lithiometer. That's the only place to ask questions.
0: He's like, and she obviously, came out of you.
1: <laughs> you know this. Right? He's like, literally, you birthed her, bitch. Uh, we know, though. Like, we get it. She's looking yeah. for the name the prophecy calls Lyra.
0: Yeah, she, she's like, what's going on here? And then, <laughs> speaking of Lee and Lyra meet each other. I was walking around the square and Lee's just out there announcing he's looking for a bear.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's kind of rude to her almost at first. A uh, little avoidant. And I mean, you know, I understand. I was surrounded by kids last week, so <laughs> I understand. Uh, but he tries to av- avoid her to ask Corum instead of her where Eorik is. And Corum's like, nope, she's the boss. I thought that was so fucking funny. Coram was just like, nope, you better ask her, not me. And Lyra refuses to tell Lee where Eorik is. She's like, I can't trust that you won't take Eorik from me, and Mm -hmm. we need Eorik." And then she just like trots right off, la la la.
0: The scenes where Daphne and Lynn are together as Lyra and Lee, I feel, are the ones where you really get to see Lyra from the books.
1: Because you get that childlike wonder, right? Because Lee really brings that childlike wonder. He brings the big air balloon, and, True. you know, he's up in the sky with his rabbit and in his Indiana Jones outfit, and uh, Lyra and him have that twinkle in their eye when they interact, and it really worked out well between Lynn and Daphne in the show.
0: Yeah. Fardecorum tells John Faw about how he heard of a prophecy, then Kaisa enters. Kaisa greets them, and calls Fardecorum Corum Van Texel.
1: I thought that was so cute. Yeah. I like that. Corum Van Trexel. I like
0: Kaisa's voice.
1: He's so, I don't know, chipper and proper. He sounds like a wizened nerd. I know. It's very I cute. I love it. It's adorable. And you know what? I was going to be upset about the Geyer Falcon, but it's fine. I get that the goose looks silly. I really wanted it to work, but the Geyer Falcon's cute enough and whatever. It works. It works. Yeah. It works.
0: I understand. I, I think a goose is an inspired choice, but at the same time, I understand that, you know, people have been bombarded with commercials of talking geese for insurance commercials this whole time. And there are, like, associations Ruined. with it. Yeah. And also, like, the the I think production, I, I forgot which person it was exactly. They actually did try. They did try to make Kaiza a goose, and they're like, it didn't work. But they did what they could. And I get it. I'm fine.
1: I like the voice. Well, Kaiza... Kaiser... Kaisa is still cute in this form and fierce. Kaisa sends Seraphina's happiness to them and asks if they're making war. Kaisa says Seraphina will help them, but that some clans, like Fardicorum expected, will not help, as they're still allied with the Magisterium. Kaisa tells them that Bolvanger is where the children are being held, the fields of evil. I love the
0: line that Fardicorum says here when Kaisa asks, so Seraphina... Pekla wants to know if you're going to make war. I'm sorry, Chloe. And Farticorum says, if it takes war to get our children back, then we are ready to wage it. And based on what we've heard about their relationship earlier, these are, I think, the exact words that it will take to move Serafina. Because Serafina wanted to wage war before. She was ready to wage war against the mm. goddess of death to rest her child, her son, back. So that characterization of Seraphina matches exactly in terms of motivation, but it also aligns her with some of the other quote unquote heroic position figures in his dark materials, such as Asriel who's out here trying to wage war against God or even Lyra who would face death and overcome death in order to find Roger.
1: I like that. Yeah. It does set her up to be that person that, uh, that renegade basically, Mm -hmm. which is what Hester calls Lee. And yes. herself many times. So uh, they uh, when they steal the ring off of the guy uh, in the north when they're looking for Grumman and they before they find him, they steal that ring off the magisterium guy, the, right. uh, the shaman, the shaman guy, I think. Ah, oh, God, what is his name? Yeah. But so they steal the yeah. ring off of him. And Lee is and this is something I really liked. That showed in Lin-Manuel in this, that that whole, uh, you know, him, oh, I don't want to kill and it's not for me. He says to Hester, you know, like, oh, I don't know about stealing this ring, Hester. And she's he's like, I'm not a villain. I'm not a bad guy. And Hester says, Lee, we're renegades. We need that. You don't know if we're going to need it or not. So take it just in case. Yeah. I thought that was really well shown mm-hmm. in the show so far. Yeah. Lyra is watching the northern lights with Pan and wondering aloud if this is what dust looks like. She sees something within them, resembling a city, but then it's gone within a few moments. She wonders if it's the alethiometer pushing them toward Roger, and then she wonders if Roger is cold. Tony Costa joins them, talking about Billy in the same way. They watch the lights together, talking about how they're going to get them back. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I re- Is it a ship?
0: Because I think it's a ship. I don't know if it's a ship, but I don't discount that there's tension. I wonder if it's part of, partly that they're showing that Lyra's growing up so it doesn't come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? When she that's what begins I was feeling too. things for Will. And I think that's that's true of growing up. I also like Billy... Not Billy. I also like Tony saying that he thinks about Billy all the time. He was even thinking about it when he was on the toilet. And I was like, I think about a lot of things on the toilet. I feel that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really hard... <laughs> My god. I don't know, the whole time I was just like kiss, kiss, kiss under my breath because I really thought they were gonna I they don't know. It's no, just the way but they, they were can't, sitting.
0: They can't because her first kiss is what
1: saves all the dust. Well, maybe this is what makes it so we only need two seasons to finish three books. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Instead <laughs> of four Tony seasons. and Lyra
0: saved it all. Now we now um, now we know what happens when you try to cut seasons off of a story that needs more, Chloe. Do we? Aliana? Do we?
1: Sorry, I only know one HBO show, and it's His Dark Materials. Just kidding, it's BBC show. Uh <laughs> Lee and Hester are seeking Eoric. He turns them down once more, ashamed of the bear he's become in the last three years, and he sends them away. That brought some tears to my eyes. I'm not gonna lie. I was sad for him. Yeah. I, I was like, Sandor, no.
0: It was a good scene. I wanted I wanted to see Lee hug. York's enormous snout, but it didn't happen. He's just so fluffy. Okay.
1: He's yeah, he's got a nice little cute
0: butt. Yeah, and as as Lee said earlier in the episode, nice cute little nose. Um and I also they it's true, right? You see someone and after a long time, you do kind of want to share a bit of yourselves, right? Of where you've been. I think it felt very true of two old friends meeting each other again, but I also just really like the line to completely ruin the mood where Lee was saying, You know, some people look better naked, Yorick, and you don't. <laughs> yeah, Lee was kind of a little smart aleck for sure. Good lines. I loved it. Lee then tries to negotiate with the Susselman once more. He tells the Susselman that technically he owns the armor and that he's chasing the debt. Then the Susselman shows him a receipt from the magisterium
1: buying. The armor back. Yeah, Lee starts to cite like this possession of goods act. He's sweet talking, bribing, and the Sisselman is like offended because he thinks he's being accused of something. So he puts a gun on the table, offering it to Lee almost as if to kill the bear, but Lee shames him instead and leaves. And this felt very Lyra to me, uh, this setup right here mm-hmm. of Lee kind of deceiving and being like, ah, the Possession of Goods Act actually means this and Uh, It it just reminded me of Lyra when she's really going at it, when she's really in the zone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what Lee Scoresby does here is actually, again, very much inspired by a scene from Once Upon a Time in the North. In Once Upon a Time in the North, Lee tells York, watch my back for a second. I'm going to spin a yarn. So for when I... Watch this, because I'm foolish and gullible. I was like, oh, wow, amazing. He knows so much about law. But that's not what was happening. He's spinning a yarn, as he says here. And in Once Upon a Time in the North, Lee's talking to someone about some cargo and says, Well, Mr. Argard, said Lee, improvising happily, I think you should keep your law up to date. This letter is correct as far as the Merchant Shipping Act 2.3. 303, Section 5, is concerned. Absolutely correct, sir, and I congratulate you on the terse and manly eloquence with which you have expressed this fragment of correspondence. However, let me remind you that a subsequent piece of legislation, the Carriage of Goods and Cargos Act of 1911, Part 3, Subsection 4, Miscellaneous Provisions... Specifically, and by name, supersedes the Merchant Shipping Act by stating that the right of a carrier to load his cargo, once the bill of lading has been signed and countersigned, and I stress that, shall in no way be impeded, obstructed, or prevented by any provision of any previous act, notwithstanding any local interpretations that shall be put in place. Now, Captain Van Breda, have you such a bill of lading? And so he just like goes on like that. And so, yeah, he just
1: bullshits.
0: It- I I like that they pulled from that. It it shows the care that's gone into putting these episodes together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, that is the spinning the yarn. That's exactly what Lyra does, right? And that's when Pullman has his most fun when he's writing that. So love it. Love it. Love it. Love seeing it in this medium. Um, I just love that Thorne is pulling from all of these places. Coulter is preparing for her trip north. She's looking very fabulous. Uh, she declines help from her demon as she studies and writes to a northern king. Jon Snow. I mean, Eofer.
0: <sighs> uh, I, I do like that it's an interesting scene of Mrs. Coulter's humanity just because she's just like the rest of us, right? She has to practice her speeches, I guess, unlike Lyra and Lee, whatever. But I practice my speeches.
1: Oh As yeah, people absolutely.
0: And, you practice your um, your bits, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that there's so much to glean from her character here and what she's doing with for Rackneson and what Lyra does later with Eofra Rackneson. Yes. <sighs> You're more like your mom than you know, Lyra. I'm sorry. Aww. It sucks, but it's true. But
0: before that one of Lyra's twenty other dads, John Faw, he's ready to leave, calling Yorick a lost cause. Lyra argues, but John Faw's the final word, uh, telling her that her father's been taken prisoner, guarded by armored bears in Svalbard. Lyra argues it's more reason to have him on their side, and John Faw argues that his true nature is savage. So she pulls out her alethiometer and she's like, "No, he's fucking not. I'm going to show you." And John Faw's like, Okay, but he still killed people and you know it.
1: Yeah, John Faw's like, here's some adult truth. He's an alcoholic asshole. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Sandor did nothing wrong, <laughs> except he did one time. Um, no, I felt like this scene was a little bit off. It was better the second time I watched it, but I felt like John Faw was a little harsh unnecessarily, and I don't know if that's supposed to up the stakes for getting Lyra North to do what she has to do. But he was less charismatic, gruff leader in this scene and more just mean. I understand the position without that extra harshness. Uh, the resolve later on made it feel doubly weird to me that it just didn't feel like a worthwhile resolve for that weird fight.
0: Yeah, I think the position he's in, as you said, is part of why. I think it's true to John Faw in that even in the books, John Faw is presented as the skeptic. But you're right. It's a little little harsh.
1: It just came off really harsh and I don't know if that is the acting or if the writing or the directing or what, but it was just very strange. It didn't feel like how I thought John Fa would speak to Lyra ever. Yeah. Tonally.
0: He usually treats her more like a child, but maybe he's just at his the end of his patience here. I don't know.
1: Babysitting's hard.
0: Lord Boreal then confronts Father Pavel. He wants to know what Mrs. Coulter asked the alethiometer and threatens Father Pavel, saying he knows about his dirty laundry. He demands his own question of the alethiometer, wanting to know what Stanislaus Grumman discovered. Then he blackmails Father Pavel for his reading, leaving with plans to return.
1: This scene dragged a little, in my opinion. I worry that Boreal's going to finish book three before we even get to book two at this point. I know it's not how that works, but it feels like it. Yeah, it, it. I feel better about it again on a second watch. But this one was probably my least favorite scene. Mm. It, it's kind of getting to a point where it's obvious what actors' contracts dictate—they have to be in certain episodes or not.
0: Yes, I did think that both of the actors did a great job acting off of each other in this scene. Oh though. yeah, I think I I, appre- I l- really
1: liked it just for that. Yeah, the acting's great. Mm-hmm. I just think the story is maybe unnecessary. I'm interested to
0: see where they go with it.
1: Yeah, I think the one nice thing, and so here's my biggest concern and why I say this. What's Lee gonna do all next season? Just heavy hand the same crap that we're learning right now about Stanislaus Grumman? Hmm. That's my problem with it. Um, it. And it's something I noticed while rereading The Subtle Knife that Pullman does a lot of backhanded, like, I said this in the last chapter, but now I'm going to say it from a different point of view and a different chapter here in a different order. And he'll say like the last chapter, it'll be Stanislaus Grumman did this and he walked between worlds. And then the next chapter will be with Lee and it'll be, "Ah, but Stanislaus walked through worlds, which is why he did this. And it's like the same sentence, just barely changed. So I don't know. I'm wondering if that's like a visual version of that. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. What's going to happen next season? Is it just going to be Lee going through the mountains, learning everything the audience has already been told?
0: I think there's that, but also there's a lot of opportunity for more just because I think that some of the pacing of the books, there's a lot of information in it, which is why it can stretch out so far, but also because it just keeps going from one thing to another. And a lot of it, of course, follows Lyra and Will, and I think there's room for there to be more stuff for Lee to do. I don't know.
1: I hope so. We'll see. We'll see.
0: Pan reminds Lyra that, you know what, you can look for Yorick's armor in a different way. Huh. Really? What way is that? The internet. (laughs) She's got
1: a cell phone now. Hester tries to talk sense into Lee, but he's refusing to leave the town. In walks Lyra, who says she is representing John Fa to hire him. She's not. She was literally just told to not do any of this, but here she is. Lyra tells Lee that a fast hand and bluffing magnificently can sometimes win, and that they need him, and the bear. Lee helps crawl Lyra to the answer. The city is actually who's stolen Eorix's armor, and he's nothing without his armor. It's like Hester to Lee. That's his demon. That's all Lyra needs to hear. She leaves, she also steals Lee's bacon on the way out, good for her, and she goes to find Yorick and tell him that she can find his armor. She asks why he can't just make new armor, and he explains it's made of sky iron, and that he made it himself. She shows him her letheometer and says she'll use it to find his armor, if he comes with them. He agrees, but says he has a right to take vengeance against those who stop him from getting his armor back and that they will die. She asks the alethiometer where the armor is, and off he goes. She's very Marisa in this scene. She's Mm -hmm. ducking in hidden alleys that she shouldn't be in to find Yorick, hard at work in the scrapyard. It's all really great.
0: Yeah. So a lot of this episode, Lyra's demon, Pan, Panteleimon, whatever you feel like calling him yeah he's still in the little like what is it still in the ermine form but he also takes on the little foxy form in which he is the fluffiest butt ever it's the most important part of the episode but also i think it's interesting that i, th- I think it's a fox like an arctic fox probably i should probably look up what arctic foxes look like
1: I didn't really look into it, but I was curious if that's what it was. I think so. I looked up Arctic Fox, and this looks like it could be that, right? It looks
0: like it, yeah. I don't know. An Arctic Fox or some kind of fox, and I think that is very apt for all the trickery and cunning she's showing this episode. Right? Especially with Lee, and the the cards thing with Lee is a good detail also from Once Upon a Time in the North. He won his balloon and poker. Hmm. hmm
1: smart connection i didn't think of that so that's why he has to respect lyra's card playing skill yeah uh
0: i like that she steals his bacon but also in this episode york isn't the first one to liken his armor to lyra's demon unlike how it was in the books and the way that he differentiates his armor from her demon his armor from any other armor, right, is that his armor is made of sky iron, and he made it for himself, by himself, and, like, since this is all spoilers, right, you all know that Yorick Burnison is a king, and he lost his armor before, when he was disgraced and stripped of his kingship, and so he made himself a new armor in Nova Zembla from that sky iron. But typically... According to Once Upon a Time in the North, because I'm not going to shut the fuck up about it this episode, a bear's (laughs) armor is made piece by piece at a time as they grow older until they are adults, and then they have a full set of armor. And so I think that, you know, going with the metaphor that, yes, their armor is like their demon, is like their soul, and that idea of making yourself piece by piece as you get older, I think that's a great That's a great metaphor for growing up in adulthood as well. And if you think of it in terms of the self, Yorick, he lost his armor, right, in that fight. And ends up, in doing so, losing his identity. Someone takes it from him when they hurt him. And so he has to find himself again. He has to try and remake himself. But he stumbles. He loses himself still again. And finally, with the help of friends, because friendship's important, emotional support's important. He finds himself. Mm-hmm. No, but that's really what it is. Emotional support's No, it's partner. true.
1: It's the friends he made along the way. It really
0: is. They, they. He made these friends along the way, but
1: actually, though. Eorick is tearing apart the town, looking for his armor. Lyra and Pan chase after him. The alleyways are caving in on them. Eoric runs into the building and Magisterium men begin to surround the square with guns. One of the men falls out of the window screaming and Eoric exits with his armor fully on, looking very majestic. He begins to bowl over the men, charging at each of them in turn. He has Dudley Dursley beneath his paw when Lee and Lyra attempt to stop him in turn. Lee tells Eorick that these people need their help and that they need to go with them. Eorick finally leaves the Sisselman and they sail off with Kaiza following above them.
0: Another great Lee moment where he tells the Sisselman, Oh, nice to see you again. You're looking well. He's like, look, yeah. under Eorick's foot.
1: <laughs> it was very funny, was he definitely it. had some great humor some great, great, great humorous moments very
0: good I think it it it's a much needed lightness, especially in the past few episodes
1: and the future few episodes, yeah, yeah
0: that's true. It does need his balance. I love that Lee, in this moment, when he has like his his head on the Sussleman's head, tells him, this isn't who you are, because it's practically the exact same words that Lyra tells Mrs. Coulter when Mrs. Coulter has Lyra and her demon pinned to the floor. But I think the difference is that this works on Yorick, because yes, this is not who Yorick is, but this is who Mrs. It Coulter was. is. This is, in fact, who Mrs. Coulter yeah. is, so it doesn't work.
1: Absolutely. It was very much so who she is. And Lyra was very much so deceived by that.
0: Yeah. Then Lyra brings her new party members and rolls in deep. She's like, it's okay, I invited a few more people to the Egyptian camp. <laughs> it's fine. It's an open invitation, <laughs> right? She tells John Faw that Yorick has been lied to and tricked, much like the Egyptian people. Oh my god, I can't I couldn't with this line. I just can't with like all of this this these parts of the show. This is the thing that I
1: actually cannot deal with. That, yeah, uh, this was interesting.
0: Yeah, she's like, you ex- practically Egyptian. And I'm like,
1: no. So, I actually liked this line, but it was very contrary to the last episode. Um, or not, I guess. The, to me, so I feel like this is something Lyra would say, and it's something that Ma Costa would hit her with a ladle and be like, you you're not Egyptian, child. Because right. basically Lyra goes, Lyra gives us big he's been lied to and tricked and cheated, just like the Egyptian people. And he's practically Egyptian, just like me. And I laughed my ass off at that. Like I lost my shit laughing because it was just very funny. Cause I was like, Lyra, you're not Egyptian. No. You know nothing of the Egyptian life. You've literally been with them three days. But last episode, they literally took Makosta's characterization and were like, ah, you're gonna tell her she's basically Egyptian.
0: Uh I think what it would have been you're right, Lyra would say that, but I also, in the books, what she would have done is be, be like, he had everything taken from him and it was wrong, just like my dad. Because that's the line yeah. she pulls all the time. She's like you're, like, you're just like my dad, all the time. Anyway, but yeah, I, I just, I don't love that
1: that portion of all this. And it's such a small change, and it's such a silly bitching thing, but it's like, meh. It's It doesn't feel like a small change to me, because for me, I'm like,
0: there's a difference in that, we saw it last episode, Lyra's not Egyptian. The entire magisterium was out looking for her, and none of them lifted a finger to look for any of the Egyptian children. There's such a gap in that privilege and like the way that society regards them. It's not, It's it, to me, it's not a big it's
1: not a small change. Lee joins the party, and John Fah is like, okay, I guess. And Lee's like, okay, Lyra, you told me he'd be jumping for joy, and he does not look happy to see me. This feels like a mistake! But he joins them anyways, and Lyra gives him this look, and she's like, what did I tell you about how I play cards? And it was the most Coulter look ever. They have the same eyebrows. I'm telling you.
0: Uh, you're right, though. And it was it was fun. He, like, still delivers his sales pitch anyway. I was, like, fascinating. You really stuck to all the copy. And I was like, I'm gonna explain what this means in normal people speak. <laughs> then Mrs. Coulter arrives to the King in the North. Jon
1: Snow? Jon Snow for Rackinson. <laughs> She dotes flattery upon Eofer, and she makes a deal with him that she'll give him special protections and royal privilege under the Magisterium in return for his loyalty to the Magisterium. Oh my god, his armor. It looked so good. It was
0: really good. I was like, some good armor. It's interesting that he was hiding.
1: Yeah, that he didn't want to see her.
0: But why, though?
1: I don't know, maybe
0: because... I, I don't think I understood that. Is it supposed to parallel... Um, is it supposed to, like, parallel Lee and Yo- Yorick's scenes where
1: uh, yeah. Yorick
0: didn't want to see him and was hiding? Are bears just shy? I think shy? so.
1: I think so. I could see it.
0: I don't know, maybe. At first I thought she was wearing uh, the white clothing that she's wearing heading north, and I was like, oh, it's like she's dressing up. The same way that the bears look, but no, she's wearing brown. She just happens to be in furs because it's cold.
1: <laughs> it didn't oh, mean no, anything. I think it is the same outfit. It, it's it's the same. It's outfit, It's brown and stripy.
0: I'm looking is at it, it right now. It
1: looked brown, okay, because on the 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 zeppelin, it looked brown as in, well, just like different lighting. I
0: thought it was like more of a beige, like brighter like whiter but anyway either way i was wrong okay she's not dressing up like the bears unless it's a like grizzly bear <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> Which no, that's is why them. i
1: thought she was dressing north in general yeah you know, she's dressing northern she's
0: just dressing normal mm. northern not like the bears though not trying to look like them, <laughs> right and it's interesting that here she's offering a baptism it's like she's gonna slowly maybe ramp it up to this is here are different human things so it's nice that we're getting to see the whole process
1: <sighs> and alas, the new party is ready to head out. We have Egyptians, Lyra, Lee Scoresby, and Hester, Eoric, Kaiza flying above. All of them ready to go. And Daenerys Targaryen, music blares in the background as they move north. Uh, it's true, though. It's literally what it is. Every week, the very last scene is like the Egyptians moving north, waiting for dragons to fly ahead. This is their version of Lyra took a nap
0: lyra (laughs) fell asleep again which is all that happens in these three books especially the first one it's like lyra fell asleep that's the end of the episode everyone
1: yeah that's it and honestly i'm a little disappointed we haven't seen lyra fall asleep more yeah we've only seen it a couple of times (sighs) well next week there's a pretty good glimpse ahead of what we're gonna see in episode five from the trailer uh, Serafina Picala and Farder Corum seem to have a reunion. There are armies at Bulvanger. Lyra consults her lethiometer, and it warns her of something. And then we flash to Lyra in the fish house. Hmm. 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 I'm not ready. I'm not either. Ma Costa is holding a presumed Billy to her chest, teary-eyed and angry, saying that they are going to kill for vengeance. So I'm guessing that's going to be her arc. That now she's going to get vengeance and she's going to go north and be badass with them, which is kind of a bummer.
0: She's going to go be Molly Weasley against Mrs. Coulter, I guess.
1: Finally. Um, I mean, didn't like the path it took to get her there, but we're there, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I still... I'm still meh. I, I understand why they chose it. I understand why they changed it to Billy, but I'm like meh still on it. For the reasons that I said in the first episode... I am interested, though. I'm not mad on this change. I don't know how I'll feel about it. I'm interested to see the Seraphina and Corum reunion play out because we don't get that in the books because they're like it was too painful. So knowing how painful it will be for them, it's. It, I'm. I'm curious.
1: On a scale of one to ten, who will it be more painful for, me <laughs> or Carter Corum? <gasps>
0: Seraphina, right? Maybe, or nor, or not, or all of them.
1: I guess me. It's you. The answer.
0: I think you're right. The answer is you, obviously. (laughs) Me over here. You know, Pat, Pat. It's
1: okay. (laughs) You know, looking back to uh, the very first episode, that handful of weeks ago, what four weeks ago, there was at the very end of the episode a teaser that talked about the weeks ahead. Do you remember this teaser? No. I don't. It was like a it was like a two, three minute like or it was like a two-minute trailer. It just showed a bunch of scenes going forward in the season, and I actually took the time today. The very, very thorough time, to go through and screenshot slow-mo, look through each shot and see what we have not seen yet from this teaser. And it's a gold mine. There's at least half of this teaser we have not seen. Whatsoever. Um hmm. Yeah, stuff that we're gonna see. I think, very soon. Uh, not a lot of episode five, so that's pretty much in the bag. We know kind of what we're looking at. I'm guessing the end of next week's episode is probably going to be Lyra getting kidnapped, maybe? Uh, toward bullvanger. That's my guess. That's what I'm calling. I don't know what you think.
0: I think that's a good idea, especially because they ended episode two with her getting kidnapped. I mean, maybe this, other than the setting off on ships, is the other new Lyra napped? <laughs> literally but also she is still not na- Larry kidnapped so
1: yeah and we'll include a link to this thread it was done on twitter if you guys are on twitter at all you can check it out on my personal twitter however there's a lot that i think we have left to see uh there's a shot in this trailer of children single file in the snow walking outside and there's also a shot right after it of Two mesh cages with a silver guillotine down the center. I'm guessing that is at Bulvanger in episode six. We also see Mrs. Coulter's arrival, a silver zeppelin, and her walking amongst the armies. That looks like episode six as well, because we have not seen it. We do get these shots, and I had to slow-mo them and watch them. You'll have to take a glance at them and tell me what you think later, because it almost just looks like a swoop. But it doesn't look like a witch. It looks like a swoop of, like, almost dust. I can't quite tell. It almost looks like witches attacking, but there's no witches. So tinfoil hat, it could be specters. And I would almost say it's too early to even hear of them. But at this rate, Lord Boreal going to be on book eight by the time we get to season two. So it wouldn't surprise me if we're going to see some Stanislaus stuff and... Maybe we'll see specters.
0: I I agree that I don't think we can rule specters out. I think that we've had some stuff in the books to point to the possibility of it being witches, right? Because Serafina makes herself seem invisible for a bit. Or I want to say that there, there was a desire to interpret the witches as being like wind or a gale-like thing, right? in some of the concept art that we saw for the end of the Golden Compass movie.
1: Yeah, the storyboards. Yeah,
0: and the storyboards. So.
1: It could be. It could but be, but also I think I Spectres know. isn't out of the question at this point. Yeah, not at all.
0: So. There's a shot
1: of Mrs. Coulter screaming, looking very much so like her demon when it screams. And if you look closely in the background, you'll see some shattered glass and some window frames. I think that's Demon Cages in episode 6. Mm. It and has to be. Yeah, abs- there's no other time she'd be pissed is what, you know, I was sitting here with my partner trying to figure it out and he was like could it be Lyra escaping? And I'm like no she doesn't escape that time. The war comes to them basically. Like the battle comes to yeah. them. Um, so that has to be it. We do get two shots of James McAvoy as Azriel in the north. One of him staring at a uh, it looks like some mathematical equations, and then one of him looking upwards, just in case if you guys forgot that he was in this show, he still is. Did
0: you mean experimental <laughs> theological e- equations?
1: Yeah, I believe
0: I did. <laughs> uh, he God. is still in the show. Man, he's got it made. He's got a sweet ass
1: fucking probably northern cabinet. He so much fucking money doing nothing. Oh, I meant Asriel, God. but you're right. Oh, uh, yeah. meta. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's a one shot in this trailer that I'm like, it was so brave of them to put it out this early. It's Azriel and Marisa looking ahead at something. All you see is them looking ahead. They're wearing snowy outfits. She's looking, her eyes look kind of damp and her mouth is just slightly parted. Uh, and his eyebrows are furrowed. I think that This shot, we can totally assume it's from the finale.
0: Yeah, it has to be. And they're likely
1: looking at the roarer and the way their expressions are. Uh, I thought that was so spoilery. I can't believe they would put that in the very first trailer. I know they have to attract people to, like, stay on for the whole season, and that's what this two-minute trailer was about. But, damn, spoilers.
0: I think they also just wanted to tell... The people who read the books and who watched the first movie, not the first movie, and who watched the movie and say, we're going to do it, everyone. It's going to happen.
1: We're going to actually give you the ending. Yeah. And truly, slow-moing and going through this trailer, that's all you need. I don't even need to actually, I mean, looking through each of these shots, I've gathered so much about what we still have left. Uh, There's shots of her walking among her armies more. There's a shot of Lee and there's a shot of his balloon, and then a close up of him, and then a close up of him shooting something. And if you slow it down, um, Eliana, we're getting cliffgasts.
0: Good. We should. We needed more of these fantastical elements. I honestly do believe that.
1: Oh, I do too. And he's shooting a cliffgast. It's amazing. It's like blink and you'll miss it in the shot, but you see its arm. Even I'm like floored. We're getting cliffgasts. I bet
0: we're gonna get cliffgasts even more. I mean, we see them a little bit more in the later books, but I think.
1: Maybe they'll just keep bringing him back. Why not? Yeah. We get a shot of Lyra falling out of the balloon. Uh, We get Asriel saying something to Lyra with a voiceover of that's a terrifying thought. And it shows him looking at her. Must be from episode eight in Spellbard. We get an image of Boreal's demon, the snake, on the ground. He can stay right the fuck away from the Perry family. Just putting that out there. You can stay right the fuck away. Stay down. Uh, there's some shots from Bulvanger, there's Lee firing his gun, Lyra being scanned, Coulter attacking a nurse, and Lyra seeing the guillotine. And then there's a really weird shot that I'm going to speculate about right now. There's two polar bears fighting each other with no armor on. But later, we get shots of bears that are armored in the background in Eofer's kingdom. So... Eorik and Eofer aren't going to wear armor in their fight. Is this the equivalent of bare mud wrestling? This that's what I'm lewd. guessing.
0: This is a lewd I'm guessing show. it has
1: to be like, a real talk, I'm guessing it's going to be something like evil, even ground or something. Mm-hmm. But like, that's weird.
0: Maybe they didn't feel like CGing the armor on them. Yet for the trailer, yeah, you know how sometimes things are different, right, in the trailers versus Mm -hmm. how they end up being in the episode. So it could be that, and they didn't want to spoil that one, maybe I don't know, but or it's lewd.
1: Well, we'll see. Lewd, nude, mud wrestling. (laughs) Uh, the next shot is Mrs. Coulter reaching out towards something, it makes me think it's her. Reaching out toward Lyra, she's trembling a little bit, so I think it's when she's taking Lyra out of the mesh cage. There's a shot of Asriel looking very dark and sinister. I'm guessing he just saw a piece of candy he wants to eat. If you know what I mean, it's Roger. No. <laughs> and then finally, there are like 80 shots of Eofer's kingdom of shit. And it's amazing. Slowed down. The screenshots are beautiful. The kingdom looks crazy inside and out. The armor all looks great. The bears look great. It's not just like the same bear copy pasted around the room.
0: The bear. It's amazing. The poop. The poop is so majestic. And that's it. That's what we have left from that trailer. Well, damn. Damn. I should probably watch this th- trailer
1: again. I don't remember half the shit that you said. <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't either. I had to slow it down to get like a semblance of some of that stuff. So truly, you're not alone. I kind
0: of didn't want to. You know, I want to see it, mm-hmm. have a taste, then like experience it all again for the first time.
1: You know, I usually do. But that felt good. Yeah. Uh, seeing it, especially right now.
0: I'm not going to tell you how to eat I didn't do that in the beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I didn't do this in the beginning. Yeah. I was ready to uh to wait to risk it all. And now, <laughs> now that we're about mid season, I am ready to just go full steam.
0: Wow. Go full and Yeah. And Bark. I don't think I've heard them say naphtha though.
1: Not yet. Not yet.
0: Mm. Lyra, Naphtha, Naps. Things that aren't in the show as much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you everyone for keeping up with us and tuning in for this week's episode
1: yeah we ran a little shorter this week for once how did that happen
0: i think it's fine yeah so i'm sure that enjoy the brevity of this week's episode so far Take it as time to enjoy with other people maybe during this weekend if you live in the u.s i know that You know, this isn't, like, a thing overseas. Um, Also, I expect that next week's episode is going to be a doozy and really long.
1: Yeah, I expect next week's episode's going to be very long, so you guys should just consider yourselves lucky right now.
0: So blessed all the time. (sighs) Anyway... You know, stay tuned for all the things that we have. If you have any reactions to the episode, feel free to reach out to us or follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter, or shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, make sure you're subscribed to us on your favorite podcasting platform to listen to. We are on Spotify, on Google Play, on iTunes, on Stitcher, Acast, and many other podcast platforms. And, of course, we do
0: also have another reread podcast, right? We reread these books. We we did the first book of Northern Lights and the Golden Compass. We are going to be starting The Subtle Knife next year. And we also do the A Song of Ice and Fire series by each POV character. Right now we are doing Jon Snow.
1: Yes, and once we finish Jon Snow, we will be starting another POV and many of our patrons have access to that right now over at patreon.com slash girls canon. Certain tiers do get some insider info ahead of time. However, we'll have that reveal information out soon. To get early access to that, check it out at patreon.com slash girls where we are also putting out a new Patreon episode for patrons $5 and up this month. Patrons who enjoy A Song of Ice and Fire that will be a specialized episode talking about House Valerian, some of the key players in its origin, and some of our favorite players from House Valerian.
0: Yes. And, of course, last month, October, the episode was about the Golden Compass movie, and I would recommend checking that out, especially because we're seeing a lot of similar elements and directing choices from the movie in the show. And in anticipation of starting The Subtle Knife in 2020, we will likely be doing an episode on lantern slides that are at the end of each of the three main books of his dark materials for December. So stick around for that. That will probably be probably be just as these episodes are about all three of the books, since I mean the lantern slides are at the end of all three of them and cover all
1: this material, so. Yes.
0: Thanks a lot, everyone. I've been one of your hosts, Eliana.
1: And I have been another one of your hosts, Chloe. Thanks, guys.